Welcome to It's Our Turn. Welcome to It's Our Turn. Queers and cults. Oh my God. My name is Emerson. My pronouns are he, they. My name is Tony. My pronouns are he, him. My name is Aiden, and my pronouns are they, them. We would like to acknowledge the original inhabitants of this area, the Weot tribe, and thank the past, present, and future stewards of this land. This land acknowledgement does not exist in the past tense. Colonialism is a current ongoing process, and we need to build the mindfulness of our present participation. We all should take action to support our local indigenous communities. Go to honortax.org to find out more about whose land you're on and how to support those tribes. In this show, we talk about religious and personal trauma. Our episodes often include subjects centering around manipulation, gaslighting, coercion, toxic masculinity, patriarchy, shame, guilt, brainwashing, emotional, mental, and physical abuse. If any of these topics are things you don't want to hear today, please feel free to skip this episode. Your mental health is always the top priority. Is it happening? Is it, is it real? Are we on? Are we live? I think so. I can hear your phone notifications. This is <laughs> so much. You know what? like went to Olive Garden and it was me, my mom, my sister, my brother and you I came out of Olive Garden? That's the fucking gayest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I know! I don't understand how this radio thing works. Like, is it... I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely not. Welcome to It's Our Turn Queers, Queers in Cults! Ah. Feels so good to say that we weren't here last week because I was sick, which right. we'll talk about. We will. Um, but now we're here on this beautiful rainy day. You can hear it outside. With, we've got scarves and tea. I just oh, we're feel in like full grandma mode I right full, now. I love it. I, oh. Oh, grandma mode is my favorite. Cheers! I feel like a golden girl today. I, love I know. It. Oh I love God. it. Mm. Um, I mean, I feel like a bronze girl. <laughs> oh, because you? I don't feel good. <laughs> not because girl. not because I'm not. I don't deserve gold. Um, but oh, my name is Aiden. My pronouns are they them. Also, you're a Dorothy. I'm 100. 100%. 100%. I've yeah. o- only, only, someone only ever tells me yeah. that I'm Dorothy. <laughs> I've never been told anything different. Also, what's your name? Oh, um, I'm Annalise. She, they pronouns. And I'm probably like somewhere between Rose and Sophia. I feel like. Probably. Rose and Sophia? Yeah. Depends on what kind of mood I'm in that day. If I'm in a good mood, I'm a Rose. And if I'm like... If I'm going to kick your door down, I'm in Sophia mode. That's funny because I would, I would, I would think that you're a, a cross between a Blanche and Sophia. Blanche? Girl, please. Yeah. Really? Yes. Blanche I'm is, so gray A though. Blanche is horny on Maine. I do not. I cannot relate. Well, okay. So here's the, <laughs> yes, you're right. You're not wrong. But when I think of Rose, I think of, I think of like. I think of like God. This chair makes so much noise. I feel like yeah, it's I the think chair. of uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I think of like ignorance or un- like she's not like like she doesn't know things. She doesn't know the world. She's very she, sheltered and, and no, no, no. You know. She she knows the world. She knows things. She's just like she's very sweet and trusting. Well, okay, I guess I'm not a rose true. then. Maybe not because I'm kind of an asshole. So. No, <laughs> I just think well, Blanche is very confident and very like well like cultured I feel like and horny for sure but like you don't like, confident yeah. bye Blanche. are we even friends is this the first day we've ever met it must be 
I, Who I are think, you? I think this is one of those that it's like, you know, in, in, in your horoscope, you in you have your, you have like, or like, I mean, in your uh, chart, yeah. you have that like, Scorpio is how, like, I'm Scorpio. Which makes you a Dorothy, because Dorothy's a Scorpio. Yes, definitely. And I'm Rose, because Rose is like, a, I think Rose is a Gemini, I'm a Cancer, and they're like very similar. But you know, so the, Scorpio is what I am, and then, or, and then like, and then my my rising is Sagittarius, and that's like you know one's like who you are, one's how people see you, one one's how you see yourself. Oh oh oh! I so I think Rose is how you see yourself, and Blanche is how I see you because you're confident and you're cultured and you're and you you know where you live and you know where you are in the world oh. and you're and you're comfortable with that and oh, and you're bless. not you're not you're not ashamed to talk about you know anything and oh. and you're not ashamed of your sexuality and I think that's how I see you. you. Oh, ego stroked. End of show. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. That's that all great. I needed. Thanks. I just needed we'll that see. confidence boost and we're let's good move to on. go. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so on our queer show, now that we're done talking about which golden girls we are, um, <laughs> <laughs> what do we... <laughs> this is the straightest that's show I've as, ever that's heard. As, I was going to say, I was like, that's about as queer as it gets right yeah, there. It's just absolutely. like spending the first five minutes talking about our golden girls mm-hmm. identities. Um, What are we talking about today? What do you want to... So, wanna... I wanted to talk about... I had this... So, I've been... I've been sick for the last week um, mm. with I've had uh, I've had like some weird dramatic version of strep. That's not the real not, not the normal strep throat mm. is a different strep throat. I've had an ear infection mm. and it's just been rough and nope. just sicknesses in general. Like, God, I don't even know how to like organize my thoughts because. Because you were just recently sick, and there's being sick, and then there's, like, getting over being sick, and that's, like, there's two parts to it, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a trilogy, you know? Every time I get sick, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of feeling gross. Then I'm literally dying, trademark. And then the, like, I was just sick, and now my, like, brain cells are slowly coming back, because I wiped them all out with DayQuil. 100%. Mm -hmm. You're, like, like the recovery is a different kind of sickness, Mm -hmm. you know, that that a lot of times, when you're, so I have chronic illness, on top of trauma, on top of neurodivergence, mm. you know, or in addition to with together, uh, it's like family. It's like Big this, it's a weird dysfunctional family. Mm. Um, and it's it, it's a it's a it's a big process and it's really challenging and and it's so funny for me to hear people talking about like oh I had a cold so I just I took some day day cool and powered through and I'm like when I get a cold, I'm like updating my will <laughs> and uh, this is the end of days. Yeah, like. Yeah. So, Sorry, I kept thinking of hearing things in my headphones. I'm definitely fr- getting an echo of you. An echo? Yeah. Okay, maybe uh, there's no other. Sorry, there's no other mics on. It's the ghost. It's the ghost. There's yeah. This is this. Place it's just is the haunting. haunting. That's turn, fine. I'm gonna turn myself down a little bit and see if that I'm helps. I'm just gonna I'm gonna write myself up like babushka. Okay, please do that. Yes. I, I I thought there was like a like a the radio station like the the music was still playing in the background. Oh. So, anyways, um, uh. You hear it now, right? Yes. Yeah. What is that? Please hold. These queers are having computer problems. It's, I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but it's Just take weird. off your headphones. We'll just do yeah, it. Right. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> so sorry, people. I'll just, maybe I'll talk louder. Maybe that's my issue. There we go. Um. Oh my God. Don't fixate. I can't. Stop fixating. I can't. I, that's all I can hear now. It's just, it's just, if you can't hear it on the radio, it's, it's literally the sound that I'm hearing is some, it sounds like someone going, uh. Uh, uh, it's doing uh, the uh, it's the Grinch talking to himself in the cave kind yes. of thing. It's like echoing. I'm an idiot. You're an idiot. That's yeah. exactly what we're going through right now in our headphones. <sighs> okay, maybe yeah, but you can hear it, so it's not just my. I headphones. can hear it. Okay. Yeah. 
Anyways. Anyways. So I'm gonna try to recovering from being sick. Yeah, it's like a whole it's a whole process. And then that so that started me thinking about why does this feel like for me when I kind of like started my journey when I left the church, came out as queer, all that kind of stuff. I well, I immediately if you've listened to my if you listen to my coming out episode on our podcast that we have. we have a podcast? We have a podcast. Yeah. I mean, I don't fucking edit. I don't upload episodes anymore because I can't get my shit together. But we do have a podcast of 35 episodes, and there will be more as soon as I can get my shit together and start editing. Where can I find these 35 episodes of It's Our Turn, Queers and Cult, Satan? It's so funny that you asked that because <laughs> you can find our podcast on Google, Apple, Spotify, and Podbean. Um, and we're back. And we're back. There we go. I'm feeling it. Um, uh, I was thinking, because I had this, this time period of... In my coming out episode, I talk about how six months after I came out, I got diagnosed as HIV positive. Mm. And I got that diagnosis by ending up in the hospital with meningitis, Mm. literally like dying, almost dying. And uh, I was on my, my body was shutting down. And then I miraculously made a comeback and, uh, and uh, uh, got this diagnosis. And then, so that started my journey, you know, that started my journey of going, I have to go to the doctor twice a year now. At mm-hmm. that time, I was going to the doctor every month. Wow. And yeah. It was It was like I was in the hospital for a week. And then and then once I got my diagnosis, I got connected with a doctor who deals with HIV. And then every it was like every month I would go to the doctor and get checked, get blood work done. And then it was like every two months. Then it was every three months. And now for the rest of my life, it's every six months. So it sounds like as you were dealing with your coming out journey, your body was also recognizing like how much you'd... Like, I mean, there, there, yes, of course, when it comes to chronic illness, like, yes, there is a, a spurn. But, like, as you were dealing with this, it was like your body was like, oh, you're taking care of me? Here you go. Here's everything that's going everything wrong all was, at once. And that's the thing is that then I started to, like, you started to, like, so I had to go to the doctor. And 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 I I, I have OCD, so, and I, which kind of hand in hand with that is, like, being a hypochondriac, you notice everything. And, and. So every single thing that happened, I thought I was dying again because a lot of trauma, you know, like it was just this fucking. It's an anxiety cycle. Yeah, it was a a clusterfuck of issues. Mm -hmm. But I started feeling like I kept all of these issues I started noticing once I started paying attention. And that's a a part of process of like coming out and being self self aware and self like um, I'm just going to move this mic so I can see your your, I can only see half your face. Now I, can see, now I can see all of it. You don't want my Phantom of the Opera energy? <laughs> just, just the eyes up only. <laughs> I'll just um, hide back here behind the computer. Um, curled up in my little blankie. I, so I kept, I felt like every other day I was getting another diagnosis. And I feel very, like I felt like a, like I said, like I felt like a hypochondriac. I felt like, you know, because I was dealing with the, you're just being dramatic. This is, you know, because that's that's what I dealt with growing up was, you know, was, I yeah. was the dramatic one. And, you know, and those and, invalidating feelings cropping up when you're trying so hard to validate yeah. yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. And so I felt like I was just constantly and I was actually constantly sick. And I was actually, um, oh, I keep I'm I'm sorry today. My OCD, my my brain is like all over the place. And so I get distracted very easily. Um, so just, you know, like any other day, <laughs> I don't know why I'm apologizing. <laughs> this is how I am all the time. Um, so I, f- so I felt like I was constantly having something wrong with me and actually I was, I did have a lot of health issues. I 
you know, since been diagnosed with PTSD and mm. I've had therapists tell me they think I might be bipolar and I, that's yet to be determined. Um, yeah. I neurodivergent. Um, I have an attention deficit, but they won't tell me I have ADHD because whatever. And like mm. I might be on the spectrum. I'm, you know, like I've got uh, celiacs. I've got autoimmune issues. I've got fucking everything. Anxi- mm-hmm. and anxiety disorder. I've got, you know, health issues, arthritis. And, you know, yeah. I've got... You name it, I've got it. You know, mm-hmm. like, like a legitimately, and a lot of these. I am the bargain outlet of health problems. Yes, I have it all. <laughs> I am the problem, TJ Maxx yeah, of issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that so hard yeah. though. Like, and and it's not it's not uncommon to have all these issues, and a lot of these issues mm-hmm. are related to something that's that like I have and have had for a while. Yeah. But I'm discovering them all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that feels overwhelming. And I thought, what is that? Like, I didn't develop these. Like, coming out did not give me all of these issues. Right. <laughs> Contrary right. to what I've been told growing up. Definitely. <laughs> coming out does not make you a horrible human, you know, that is doomed to be sick all the time. Gasp. A lot of these things are stuff that I've probably had since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, there's a... The, I'm not, how do I say this? I'm not like intentionally being like, like my father's an asshole. And we've talked about that. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's a common thread. My father was abusive. He's an af- asshole and mm-hmm. I don't hold anything. Um, I don't hold any space for him in my mind or my heart anymore. Right. My mom was amazing and did the best she could with mm-hmm. what she had to work with, which was trying to shield her two children from this abusive asshole. Yeah. And that is. the That is, that is often the story of, you know, a, domestic abuse sort of situation. And I, and I will use that word because yes, it, it, it was it, domestic abuse for yeah, sure. Because emotional and mental abuse are something that are so much more upsetting yes. in a lot of circumstances than physical abuse. And just to like, just to break that down into tears, physical abuse, we know it, we've seen it. Um, I, I have dealt with physical domestic violence. I, I like to call myself a retired battered woman. Mm, used, nice. to, used to deal with it. Did it. Yeah. There were so many times with my previous partners or or people that were abusive in my past that and anyone who's ever experienced domestic violence or abuse of any any kind that I've talked to can relate to this there are so many times where it's like I would rather be hit oh yeah physically I would rather have a physical bruise to show than deal with mental abuse which is the a lot of the gaslighting behavior of the kind of like oh you're acting crazy like blah 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 what is this um and just or put downs like calling you stupid or silly or making fun of the things that interest you then you go to emotional abuse which is straight up just the constant invalidation of feelings i'm angry at you well you don't have a right to be Mm -hmm. and those kinds of abuse situations when when you're doing that that does often and it has been proven that that does itself cause a lot of health issues and a whole lot of neglect for one's own health because it sounds like you know you dealt with this where it was like for years and years this didn't crop up but you said you'd probably had it as a kid i dealt with a lot of that same stuff too i would whenever i would feel sick as a kid i would have to make sure i was literally like about to die or like couldn't function there were so many times you know i went to school and i was like i wasn't feeling good had to do it anyway because it's like unless you pass out and you're like on the ground unconscious doesn't matter you know what i mean it's just yeah unless you're dying you're not sick yeah, and that is so prevalent in, I know we've talked about this before, this is so prevalent in religious upbringings of like, there's this this push to suffer because that brings you holiness. And mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're feeling this, you know, 
I, I feel weak today. Well, well, give it up to Jesus. Give it up to the Lord and have him, him guide you and help you and carry you. It's like, yeah, but Jesus is not calling the shots on my white blood cells. Thank you very yeah, much. Like, totally. he's got and no rain here. There was, I don't know if you experienced this, but there was this, like, you know, we genuinely were taught and believed that Jesus could um, heal anything. Mm. So prayer was always the first thing we went to first line of defense and you tried that to see it was like a fucking medication try this for two weeks and see if you get better and if you don't then we'll go to the doctor and if if you don't it's probably god's plan that Mm -hmm. it's 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 god's plan and you have to learn something from it Mm -hmm. or you're not you're not a good enough christian well and you and if you had prayed harder or something else if you didn't have sin in your heart it would go away which in and of itself again that is that is mental abuse. Yes. That's meant to make you feel crazy when 100%. you're noticing a symptom in your body. It's gas. That is that gas- is gaslighting. That is gaslighting. One hundred percent. Boom. And so there was that. So, but then there was you know they said that like oh yeah you know like Jesus is perfect but we're human so we do get sick so they said that but there was always that implication mm-hmm. and then we had a pastor whose wife had uh, breast cancer oh. and she I know she didn't have it when she when they were pastoring. Um, but she had had it and she mm-hmm. bragged about um, uh, and again, I, you know, she was a woman that misguided, mis- misled. And I really do think she was doing the best she could, mm-hmm. you know, with with the, uh, you know, the abusive, awful husband that she had. Yeah. Um, you know, but she talked, she bragged about. And so I don't want to say she's 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 actually passed on and she really was a lovely woman for what she could Mm-hmm. what she could do if that makes sense yeah you know? for the for the hand that is dealt she played it the yeah. best she could you we know? do what we can with the resources available to us just and, a good rule for life and just in and just another side note i would like to say that like i understand i want to understand and fully recognize that like she had and this i think this happens to a lot of people in in, in toxic religions is she genuinely loved people mm. and she was trying to help them with the way that she thought she could yeah and that just happened to be the wrong way but she was genuinely operating out of a love for people, whereas her husband oh. was narcissistic and 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 egotistical and abusive. You know, you know so. it's funny. That is a really common uh, diatribe that I've yes. also seen. I know we, we talk a lot on this show about like the toxicity of religion. Da, da, da. The thing I think we don't talk about enough is that I don't I don't know where you stand on this. I've met two kinds of Christians in my life and only two. There are. What we talk about, the the malignant, narcissistic, self-serving Christians of, mm-hmm. I am going to use this rhetoric to get what I want to be holier than thou. Justify literally. my behavior. Justify my behavior. Awful. And then there's the other kind that, unfortunately, I've, I've seen more rarely, for sure. But I know it exists, and they've been some of the best people I've ever met, which are Christ-like Christians yes. who really, truly emulate compassion caring for your fellow human beings mm-hmm. flipping tables in the temple with your anarchy and don't yep. don't cash in on my mm-hmm. religion and all these things we don't talk about that enough we, we really we really don't. don't you're absolutely right because one of my best friends is a christ-like christian and I, she knows i'm a raging atheist we've known <laughs> yeah. each other since we were 12 years old we have nothing but respect between us yes she, yes. she's yes. like you told me about her she's yeah. sounds amazing she, caitlin i love you if you're listening i love you so much she will you know we'll we'll call each other up we both work in education and it's just like that's a huge emotional bond just having oh, like yeah. someone you've known your whole life where it's like hey i can't put up with this shit today and just you know bitching to each other yeah 
And, you know, she'll tell myself, she'll be like, I will keep you in my prayers. And it's not. And I've heard that, you know, from so many people where it's like, oh, I'll pray for you. And it always so often feels so belittling. Yeah. But when she says it, you know, and mean, meanwhile, you know, she'll tell me something and I'll be like, I'll pull some tarot cards for you. Yeah. And we both know that's just our way of communicating with our individual higher powers. Exactly. She will send me, you know, like like stressless cards, which are, you know, non-denominational prayer cards, essentially. And I'll send her like herb bundles from my garden. And there's just there's just a mutual respect there. And I just so wish growing up, I wish that I had been exposed to more people like Caitlin, like the pastor's wife, the truly Christ like Christians who who loved and cared but so often you do see those people trapped in trapped. relationships with the yes. with the more manipulative versions yes. of religion or christianity and the, the my mom my mom and her mom my grandma mm-hmm. and then there's another lady in our church um uh debbie she was those like three of the most amazing people most compassionate most empathetic mm-hmm. also traumatized people i don't know about yeah. my grandma she probably was but i i don't i i just my grandma passed on when I was in my early twenties, I believe, oh, and so like I'm sorry. that's like in reality, that's not that long to actually know your grandparent as a person. Same. You know them as their gra- as your grandma. Mm-hmm. Does it make sense? Yeah, definitely. So, I have um, a similar relationship with my gra- best person I ever met, devout yeah. Catholic, but like actually Christ-like. But they, my grandparents, were known for taking people in and letting them oh. live with them until they could get on their feet. She fed the entire church often. You know, mm-hmm. she would buy sodas that everybody liked, you know, like, well, I have to buy this kind for that person and this kind for that person. Like, and oh. sh- they exhibited some of the most authentically loving behavior and, and, and strong devout Christians, yep. Pentecostal Christians, and just absolutely beautiful, lovely people. And I think you're right. We don't talk enough about the people who use, who have, who religion is just their vehicle to be the amazing people that they are. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's why I really like to say toxic religion and not just religion. Yeah. Because religion inherently isn't. It, it it's a tool, just like just like other things. It's a tool that you Definitely. can use. Education, the educational system. It's a tool that a lot of people use to encourage racism. Yeah. You know, so it's but education is not inherently bad, and I feel very similarly about religion. And and uh, we should we should make that an episode about talking about the people that like. It's not assholes. what we meant to talk about today, but, but here, like but here it, we but are, here and we I think are, and I like that. It. But part of the reason I think we did end up there is because if we had been exposed to more of that, more of that Christ-likeness, more of that validity, we wouldn't have ended up with with these things like chronic illness. So there is a relationship not only between abuse and domestic violence, but also toxic religion and just trauma in general. Yeah. There is proven time and time again there is a huge correlation between those things and chronic illness um most children who experience trauma um either sexual or physical trauma in their young age before the age of six most of those kids come out with some sort of chronic illness most commonly asthma is actually created as a trauma response the the, and there's a lot of reasons why that might happen when you experience trauma and then you develop post-traumatic stress disorder Mm -hmm. Um, there's a few different kinds of post-traumatic stress. I've, I've given this speech so many times. There's a few different types of post-traumatic stress disorder. There is acute post-traumatic stress disorder, which is the most common and one of the most easily treated. 
these and, and, and is that just a clarifying question? Mm-hmm. The the acute is that the kind that like like when someone says PTSD, the first thing that comes to our mind is you know like a war vet who has triggers who can't function in society who you know is constantly you know like like that kind of like example that seems to be the cliche quote unquote, for lack of a better term that's more so that's that's step two that's proper so acute ptsd usually happens after like a quick event either like a like a car accident or a mugging oh, I like see, there's I see. one brief event like one moment of of violence that creates that 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 fear going on okay that fight or flight response is triggered because you've experienced something traumatic Often in the case of soldiers, um, like you were just saying, is often um, what we, you and I have, uh, which is mm-hmm. complex PTSD, which is where you're exposed to the same trauma time and time and time again. Soldiers are often exposed to violence on a daily basis. Domestic abuse victims or children in abusive households are exposed to the same sort of traumatic instances time and time again, and mm-hmm. it just builds and stacks on each other. Um, generalized PTSD, just kind of simple PTSD, often happens when you know you're you're exposed to something you don't address it and it just sits there and festers and often in that case when it's not complex ptsd like you've experienced a horrible event often sexual violence will have have someone develop post-traumatic stress disorder that may not crop up for years Mm, so what makes ptsd ptsd especially with complex ptsd is it changes your neurochemistry every mental disorder or I shouldn't say mental disorder. No, every neurodivergence. Mm-hmm. That's a much more <laughs> uh, that, uh, respectful we, word. Well, we grew up with it being called a mental disorder. Mental and disorder, not that mental that illness. Makes it okay, but but mm-hmm. yeah, that's I, I like the change in language, but I also understand. I'm learning it. Yeah, I'm still you, I'm still yeah, readjusting. Totally. Um, so with post traumatic stress in particular, what happens is the way the neurochemistry changes is you've heard of your fight, flight, or freeze reflex. That lives in uh, your amygdala, which is like your lizard brain. We've had that since we were apes in the trees. That's the, like, there's danger coming. Am I going to run from it? Am I going to punch it in the face? Or am I just going to stay still and try and survive? Mm -hmm. The amygdala is triggered during post-traumatic, or during traumatic situations. Once it's set off, and some people develop PTSD from an incident, like, say, a, a mugging or an act of violence. Some people do. Some people don't. We still don't know why. Yeah, we don't know what so what flips the switch for some people. When that flip is that switch is flipped, mm-hmm. the amygdala is on all the time. There's no turning it off. When you turn on that fight or flight reflex, your body produces more stress chemicals more regularly, particularly cortisol, epinephrine, and norepinephrine. Those are all your like fight stress chemicals. Something something bad is happening. Um, when you're having a particularly stressful day, if you're just like tense stuff, you're like, I can't calm down. I can't calm down. That's your cortisol. Your body is flooded with cortisol. When your body is flooded with cortisol, you stiffen up. You You just get tight all the time. That is what is so dangerous for a lot of people and leads to things like chronic illness. A lot of people I know who have trauma or are high stress are anxious people. They, they always have sore shoulders, sore necks, sore backs. It's because your body is tightened up all the, time. all the time. And when you add that kind of stress to your body time and time again, that leads to things. It can start with things like asthma when you're a kid. It can lead to things like cancer and everything in between. Like stress causes your body to be sick just as much as germs or bacteria. Stress, your brain is powerful. It is a blob of jelly yeah. in water with some electri- electricity coming out, but it is a strong glob of jelly. Yeah. And it. it Correct me if I'm wrong, but just like the cortisol, cortisol, I think 
just like that chemical being in your body so often can actually put stress on your actual organs. Oh yeah, and and can cause your organs to malfunction or stop functioning. Mm-hmm. Like after it, like a long exposed. Because uh, so celiacs, what I've learned is celiac. You know, don't quote me on this, but I'm fairly certain this is what I've I've learned. Because which celiacs is what like 90% sure I have, you know. And but what what is celiac again? Celiacs is um, an autoimmune disorder that the causes the cilia in your, so the cilia are like fine little hairs in your intestine that absorb mm-hmm. nutrients from your food after you eat it. That's what, that's what absorbs the nutrients. Okay. When you have celiac disorder, if you're, if gluten is introduced into your body, those, they stop functioning. Oh no. And you can't absorb nutrients. So severe cases of celiacs, long like over long periods of time you can actually you know even like suffer greatly mm. from malnutrition while eating because because your body just can't break it that cannot down absorb. Oh, and it man. has there's there's like over 300 potential symptoms you can have anything from like a headache to like like uh like mood swings uh, mm. your body shutting down like it's it's wild the symptoms and they're just mm. completely unrelated mm-hmm. um, and uh, so but from what I've heard what I've like read and learned and talked to people is that it's it's a gene that exists in your body that mm-hmm. just lies dormant a gene I think it was a gene um, yeah I was gonna say from what I've heard about things like like gluten intolerance lactose mm-hmm. intolerance celiac those are often things that I've heard um, exist in the gene pool and then are then passed down and often especially with things like gluten intolerance i've heard is it can be it's very caucasian leaning and it's hereditary like it's hereditary Mm -hmm. but it it lies dormant in your body and and then only usually only activates after a really traumatic event a really stressful (gasps) event so like having stress on your body causes that too and the woman that i learned this from she got diagnosed with celiacs she said that she didn't have it until her she her um, dad got really ill and then had to move in with him and she had to take care of him and he was dying. And that stressful time in her life, after that, she had celi- she got diagnosed with celiacs. And, mm. it, like, and so she's the one that helped me figure out what it is. But it like it. I think I think where I was going with this is that, oh, that the, like the the cortisol, the stress hormone in your body can bring things up like this. Like if I mm-hmm. had like a great life, a super easy fucking life. Mm-hmm. I might not even have celiacs right now. Yeah. I might not even have half, half the issues I have. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like, you wouldn't believe the things that stress causes. Um, Not only asthma, but often kids who experience a lot of stress or difficult home lives, they can end up with anything varying from, you know, like a, a breathing condition. They can end up needing glasses. Like, uh, yeah, ophthalmology can be affected. Um, things like uh, like chronic ear conditions, uh, all all kinds of things, and dyslexia, learning disorders. Like it can, it can crop up in any number of ways. Like we as human beings are so incredibly complicated and yeah. so susceptible to I've stress. Heard, I've heard I have a friend who's a therapist and has done a lot of research on 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 these things. You know, as as they were going through school, and they were talking about a recent study that's not official. This is just like things they're starting to research and realize is that PTSD can basically create, can give someone ADHD. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's not like ADHD is usually, it is like a disorder that starts when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you just live with like most people are born with it if they have it mm-hmm. from what I understand, but they're actually realizing now that like 
like severe PTSD can like basically give you ADHD. Like yep. PTSD, they're learned. The, the surprising thing is how much we know about PTSD. We still know very little. <laughs> we know very we vir- little. We know virtually nothing about it. And it cannot, it is only something, what's really tragic to me is it's, like most mental health conditions, it's something that can never be cured. It can nope. only be managed. It can, o- especially, so the only, this is why I really try to advocate for like kids therapy being so much more available for kids is because if your brain's not done developing, you can reverse a lot of the damage. There's not time all of it. for you. There's time. Exactly. <laughs> We're out of time. We're stuck like this. <laughs> I didn't even start dealing with this until I was 30. My brain was not yeah. only done developing, but I was also deepening those neuropathways. Mm-hmm. So I'm fuck. This is what it's going to be like for the rest of my life. Like I can yeah. manage it. I can I can learn how to manage it better. I can improve my 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 situation. Mm-hmm. I can work with I can work with what I've got, but it's not going to heal. No. This is what it is. You know. Yeah. But like. If you're a kid, if you're basically under the age of 25, you still have time. Mm-hmm. You can still undo. You still have time to like lessen those neural pathways. Exactly. To, to there's there's time those, to those to paths. change those neural pathways by introducing things like yep. cognitive behavioral therapy and mm-hmm. and emotional uh, regulation. Like yep. you can introduce those things earlier and earlier in life to help that from coming up. Yep. But again, it's one of those things like it could just not it could just not crop up. You could just not end up with PTSD. And it's like you were saying with, um, you know, having the, the comorbid attention deficit. Like, that's the tough thing about PTSD is it's so frequently misdiagnosed. I was, and I've vice had, versa. Yeah. Like, I didn't even get a PTSD diagnosis until I was 17 years old. Before that, I'd started taking, I no, I hit puberty very early. So, like, usually when you hit puberty, that's kind of when a lot of, like, um, neurodivergence starts to pop up for mm-hmm. the first time. Um, so I hit puberty. I was like probably nine, nine or ten mm-hmm. when I when I first started to menstruate, which was like crazy freaking young. That's really young. It was yeah. really young. Um, fun fact for people with vaginas: um, if you experience trauma, it often leads to an was, earlier onset of puberty. I was wondering about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that is another thing. Um, and right about then, I really started getting a lot of symptoms of depression and anxiety. Both of my parents are also neurodivergent. Um, my father deals with attention deficit, and my mother has dealt with um, major depression for pretty much all her life, as far as I know. So once that started cropping up, you know, there was definitely like this. The I I was fortunate to come. My father's side of the family is uh, all doctors. They're it's very medically based. Also Irish Catholic, so it was like we know we have this, but we're not going to talk about gonna, it. Yeah, um, totally. Also, just keep an eye out for alcoholism, you know. Yeah. So it was pretty much that. <laughs> yeah. um, but when it first ca- came up in in my family, it was very much, it was kind of decided for me what was going on with me before I even really began to explain my symptoms. So I was regularly being misdiagnosed, and I was having a lot of trouble with like like depression. I was having a lot of anxiety. I was having a hugely hard time with emotional regulation and I would get like really really worked up for days and then like exhaust myself so I got the very common diagnosis that often happens with PTSD where they told me it was bipolar 2 that's what mm -hmm. that's what a lot of people have been wondering about like I've had several Mm -hmm. a couple therapists and psychiatrists be not diagnose me with it but suspect suspect or just straight out say Mm -hmm. I have I'm bipolar but they can't give me a diagnosis because they didn't have that they didn't have the whatever the licensure to do that exactly but, and they look they look very similar the difference yeah. like most people know like bipolar one is the very like very highs and lows you have big manic episodes and then big depressive episodes it's hills and valleys and hills and valleys with bipolar two it's more often lows with like spikes of high however 
that is also how PTSD, PTSD manifests works. because yep. you get you get that huge release of cortisol and you're stressed and you're stressed and you're stressed and then eventually your body just exhausts itself and then you're like I need to sleep and now I feel bad about myself and I'm being I'm being triggered I can't and rest etc like sometimes oh, always yeah totally always I didn't I can mean to interrupt tell. but I wanted oh, to no. ask yeah I can tell that I'm having a particularly high stress like period my my kickers are when I'm not sleeping well and I'm constantly trying to like clean things like my anxiety manifests I grew up my father was a hoarder mm. so my anxiety manifests by me constantly trying to like clean and just yep. like keep doing things and I always have to feel productive because I'm trying to work out all this energy that I have but then I'll get terrible sleep. When I don't sleep, I get canker sores in my mouth. I do too. Like mouth sores. And that's my, I've gotten better about like noticing it now. And now I'm like, okay, that means like I'm in a high stress. I need to like force myself to calm down. Like let's take a break. Let's do some breathing, things like that. But it took me years to even start to recognize that because yep. I'd been misdiagnosed for so long. Just on a side note. Oh yeah. Canker sores are also a symptom of celiacs. Stop I it. Them, I had them all the time as kids. I lived as a kid. I lived with them. <sighs> I got to a point in my life in my like late teens, early twenties, I just lived with them. Yeah. I had, I had one all the time. I have one right now. That, <laughs> I have that one right now because I haven't slept enough. That is a, 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 a symptom of celiacs. Beans. Yeah. But I, well, just, I didn't want to interrupt what you were saying, but I wanted to say that before I good forgot. Good to know. Well, and that's the thing is I didn't know for a long time that I was even gluten intolerant. Yeah. I was like uh, constantly sick, cranky, bloated, overweight kid, like bad skin, bad teeth, bad hair, all these things. Like, Those I was, are all symptoms. Those are all like common symptoms of and celiacs. And that's the thing. Yeah. I didn't know. So then when celiacs I- Celiacs is also more common in um, uh, uh, assigned female at birth people. Is it? Mm-hmm. It's 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 we actually fairly uncommon for quote unquote men to have to get celiacs. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Well, see, it wasn't something that I knew about for years. So I was growing up um, being told I had bipolar two, being on mood stabilizers, which were just like <laughs> mood stabilizers when you don't need them. That's why I was like, yeah. you're just a zombie. Yeah. I just like, I was like, I'm already struggling with dissociation, and now I can't feel anything. Exactly. <laughs> if you if your mood, if you don't need mood stabilizers, it just fucking like you, you said, just flatline. Flatline. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Rough. It wasn't until I was 17 that I got a proper diagnosis. And blessings and riches, I worked with a counselor who didn't diagnose me right out of the gate, yeah. which is the thing that I've noticed as we're talking about, you know, physical versus mental health. A problem I've I've noticed, especially in American medicine, which is mm, just a just a unique gift in and of itself. I'm sure we've all dealt with that. Mm-hmm. Um, welcome to like one of the only countries in the world where you're gonna go absolutely broke and be in debt for the rest of your life because you needed to go to the emergency because you room. Just need to get because I need medical help. Yeah, I need two stitches. Yeah. Um, I finally worked with a counselor who didn't just hit me with a diagnosis out of the gate. Didn't just listen to my list of symptoms and be like, oh, that's this. And because I'm an MDAT, my word is- MDAT, I love that. (laughs) Word of the day. MDAT. (laughs) MDAT, fucking love it. Uh, She heard a list of symptoms and was like, I'm gonna take my time to continue to talk to you, continue to learn from you. And she was the first person in my whole life to be like, you have PTSD. I'm like, nothing traumatic has ever happened to me. I haven't been through something terrible. What well, and I, I I look back at that kid and I'm like oh honey yeah like uh, you were so deep in it you didn't yeah. even know it was 100%. trauma 100 mm-hmm. that's I, I I think I've told you this where I had the experience I recently read the book CPTSD from Surviving to Thriving by John someone I can't remember I know the book uh, I also can't remember his name yeah <laughs> um the stuff that they describe as 
as qualifying events to have CPTSD were just my normal. I didn't yeah. I didn't classify that as traumatic because that was just life. That's just normal. And then all the uh, then the really traumatic stuff I classified as trauma. That's like off the fucking charts. Yep. That's like we didn't talk about it because it's so this chapter isn't for those incredibly traumatic things. This you know it was like well, I couldn't believe it. You grow up in it. And you just invalidate to yourself because you have to survive with that as your normal. You have to just invalidate that that was a big deal. Like usually I'm talking to my partner when right now I'm finally on a a point in my journey where I'm coping with a lot of trauma that I just haven't like addressed before, Mm -hmm. which is also the tough part about dealing with trauma is it's not going to start to get better until you talk about it. But because you have trauma, the last thing you want to do is talk, talk about, about it. it because you will revisit it. You will feel it all again. And it's horrible. And, and you're like, well, I got far away. From, it's over now. I'm so surviving. I'm Can I just yeah. keep doing that? If yeah. I talk about it, then I have to relive it. And then when I relive it, I know I'm going to have to go through it, which means it's going to be, I'm going to go deep into the valley mm-hmm. and I'm going to have to deal with that. I'm going to have to climb through. I'm going to crawl through the sledge. And I'm going to do all this shit. I might have to take another medication. And I don't have the time or the energy to do that because I have bills to pay. Like that's it's the thought vicious. process that goes through yeah. my head. It's rough. It's, it's absolutely vicious and so unfair. And I like, just don't. And I'm like, I just don't want Or you just don't have the option because mm-hmm. I don't I don't currently have a therapist because yeah. all of mine have moved or retired or my last one just we didn't it just wasn't and it could be match. hard to yeah. find quality and mental health care it really betterhelp.com yeah um, <laughs> I uh, I, my, I, I my friend sent me one maybe I'll look at it look it up on our break and and, and uh, mention it because that's the one that they use and they so I'm, I'll mention it but anyways um, but yeah, that that is. I think I inter- I feel like I interrupted you that you were reading something. I don't. Oh, I don't which, know. this is a very. You can tell too. By the way, I'm listening to us talk. I'm like, we are so caffeinated. Do you hear how fast we're talking? We're like, let's I talk about like our anxiety where we're fully caffeinated and everybody can understand <laughs> us, right? I hope you I like listening like to I'm... a 1920 silent film because that's how quickly we're talking to each other. All right. It's so funny because I actually feel like I'm being able to listen. I'm able to like actually like absorb what you're saying. And, and I hope our hold listeners are able to listen to how quick this is going. It's so funny. I've had two coffees today and that's the only reason I can even like focus. Um, but one of the things I was thinking about when you were when you were saying how you, you got a PTSD diagnosis like early on for like early on 17, which is late, but still, you know, earlier than most earlier. than I was lucky. Than, uh, it, yeah. I had the opposite experience where I got a PTSD diagnosis first. And Mm. so now no one will consider anything else. No one will consider ADHD. Mm. No one will consider um, uh, possibly being on the spectrum. No one, you know, I've had people mention bipolar, but they, they, you know, like once people hear PTSD, Mm -hmm. they just like, well, it's PTSD. And granted, yes, it is and can be. But like we have to explore like PTSD, ADHD, ASD, bipolar, all treated very different. All treated differently. All look very similar in a Almost lot of different exactly ways. The same. Yeah. It's it's tough. It's rough. And it's not something that we address enough. And there are seven diagnoses. Uh, this was another thing I thought of. There are seven diagnoses in my current metal, medical chart right now permanently that came from one two-hour session with a psychiatrist. Stop that it. That I did not like. I did Stop not like it. him. Oh, yeah. I, I When I lived in Texas, I got a new psychiatrist because I was like, okay, I need to get back into medication management. It was something I neglected for a while. And I go in and, you know, you do the little, like, initial fill out of paperwork. I'm like, these are the symptoms I'm experiencing and da-da-da. And this is when I was, like, 20, 24 probably. So, now, keep in mind, I was properly diagnosed with PTSD at 17. 
the day I found that out, big part of big part of the kicker was I did um, a little bit of hypnotic therapy that oh, nice. day. So I uncovered some repressed memories. Shocking. A shocking experience if you've ever dealt with uh, memory repression. I was like, oh, this sucks. And then my uh, my counselor at the time, she described PTSD to me. And it was the first time in my life I was like, after being treated and diagnosed with bipolar 2 for years, I was like, yeah, sure, I guess. Like, this will help, I suppose. When she explained to me how PTSD looks and feels and kind of talked me through my repressed memory. Because for me, I thought it was just like, I, I've heard a lot of people with PTSD talk about this when they uncover repressed memories where it was like, I just thought that was some, like, bad dream I had. I thought that was some, like, yeah. convoluted thought or, or fantasy. Like I made it up. Or it felt, it felt like I made it up. And she explained it to me, and I was like, oh, no. That makes sense. And because I'm a huge nerd, the first thing I did is I went to the library. Because I was like, yes. know your enemy. Do your research. Started oh, reading yeah. up on PTSD. Saw everything. Like, finally felt like something made sense and I understood I was like oh my gosh this is what I'm dealing with and at that point I had I had two roads that I could take I could seize the moment and I could be like okay I know what this is now I can I can do this work I can do EMDR I could try everything from MDMA to ketamine therapy yeah, totally. like all these things you hear for PTS I can try meditating and doing yoga and like managing myself I could do all this that was one of the roads in front of me the one that I chose was Nope. And I ran the other way. I was like, oh, I'm just straight up not going to deal with yeah, this. No, thank you. That seems like a lot. That. that sounds like a lot of work, a lot of money, a lot of time. Exactly. And instead, I did the very common trauma response of I'm going to go expose myself to the exact same situation in a different format. Like I had experienced it growing up in my house. So I entered a domestic partnership that had yep. a very similar structure because I was used to it. Yes. So even though I was stressed out beyond belief, I felt at at peace in a way like uh, i was 100%. stressed but i was like i know how this know is this. gonna go my i can predict this and how it will work i the you know the saying the monster you know is better than the monster you don't mm -hmm. like that's not, it's not used in these contexts but that's how it makes sense to me yeah is that you know because they're like familiarity is the most is the most comforting thing my exactly like my mom has said at some point, multiple times, probably mm -hmm. that like I've learned how to manage it at this point. Yep, I know. I, I, know, I know how, how to survive it. it. I know how to survive it. And, and if I leave it, I'm not going to have any idea what to do. Exactly. And, and that's exactly what I exposed and myself that is to. Devastating to me. It's I get hard. it. I understand it, but it's devastating that that is where so many people are at. It's just so. It's, yeah. It's it's oh god, it's just so devastating. But and it's it was one so of those common. things. Again, again, I got so I did that. I chose to run away, but then again, I got lucky. And, you know, I, I entered into the same situation. Two years go by. I get a major wake-up call, and I'm like, nope, okay, this was not the right path. Broke out of it, and I'm like, time to take care of myself. Like, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to let this happen. And so I went to see a psychiatrist. I'm like, all right, it is time to manage my mental health. I had a couple, uh, I had, at one point, I had a great team, like a great mental health care team. I had a psychiatrist and a counselor that I was working with. By the way, that was the first time I'd had a queer therapist. Oh, oh my God. I've never had a queer therapist, but I had a therapist. I mean, I we didn't talk about her sexuality, but... You uh, can just tell. Yeah. You know what I mean? Kind of. I, 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 I guess. Like, oh, hey. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought so, but I don't, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but she was specifically trained in queer issues. She mm. was specifically trained in HIV issues, and she was specifically trained... She went to like seminars and training for trans 
issues. Oh, see, that's better than me because I was I like I was aware of my queerdom, but it wasn't something at that point I felt like I need to address. I just felt like I was like I need to address that like I got the big sad in here. Yeah, totally. And why it helped me was I'd had so many of these sort of like maternal paternal kind of like almost parenting therapists that were like very soft and gentle, which for me growing up with like two parents that were not really like that i was just kind of like oh this feels weird like i dreaded therapy because i was like yep. you're soft and that's um unfamiliar to me yeah whereas when i had a queer therapist dr davis he was like girl stop did you hear what you just said to yourself <laughs> you're being ridiculous <laughs> why are you that. calling yourself names and i was like oh yeah you're right and i got like whoosh, like yeah. whipped in shape and i was like oh my gosh which in a way it was like this got through to me not only because it, it wasn't that it was severe, but it was the tone behind it while sure. still being kind. Yes. It like registered with me in that way. And unfortunately, I, I ended up moving away and losing that team. And when I relocated, I was like, OK, let's let's keep this going. So I go to a psychiatrist and I do the paperwork and I'm sitting with her for 20 minutes. She's looking at the paperwork. She's having me talk about stuff. She's like, oh, you have bipolar, too. I'm like, oh, not this again. Uh, yeah. Stop totally. it. So like just as a general rule, when you're whenever you're dealing with like either neurodivergence or physical illness, I think there's something to be said for, you know what's going on in your body. You know yes. how you're feeling. You know what you're going on. Yes, there are people that are trained to recognize these things. One of the hardest things to do when you're dealing with taking care of your health at all, you know how you want your body to feel, whether it's something as simple as I have a head cold to straight up gender dysphoria. You yeah. know how you want your body to feel, to feel safe in it. Yep. Don't ever. Don't ever let someone, because they have a doctorate or a degree or a license, tell you that how you feel about how you should feel is wrong. Is wrong. Just don't do it. Don't. Yeah. I just recently saw a post on Twitter um, that from a person who is on the spectrum talking about how they went through their process to get a diagnosis for years, mm -hmm. found a doctor, um, and uh, and the doctor said to them, are you sure you want to do this? because it's going to be a very long time and it's going to cost a lot of money and self-diagnosis is very valid. Like the, the doctor was really good. They were basically oh. like, you know yourself, you know your body, you know what's going on. Did you see me roll my eyes? Yes, I, was like, I, I thought did. That was going a whole that's different what it way. sounds like at first because ah! doctors <laughs> almost always say, are you sure you want to do this? It's probably just X, Y, and Z. But no, this doctor was like, like self-diagnosis is valid because you know yourself better than anyone else and you're not you're basically not going to get anything from this Slay. you know and i like that was the like doctors that wreck i understand that if you fucking google i sneeze twice in a row you're going to end up with cancer i understand yeah. that so but also at the same time if you're self-aware which most people who have trauma are or have neurodivergence there a lot of times they're very self-aware because they've had to do if you gotta be if you're at that point where mm -hmm. you're looking up am i on the spectrum you're already several steps ahead of yeah. of, of, of in, in the process mm -hmm. and if you're self-aware and you know what you're you know what you're doing you know what symptoms to look for you know what websites to look at self-diagnosis can be a very valid form of preparing yourself to go f to forwards in the process and if you don't have the medical if you don't have the access to medical sometimes it's just the thing you have to do to to help you deal with what you're what you're what where you're at and and, yeah. and help you help you to um what's the word i'm looking for help you to like take care of yourself yeah well Some that and i don't know if you've experienced this but every time i go to the doctor because i'm like something's wrong and 
I'm one of those people where it's like, because healthcare is so expensive, it's like, I better feel like I'm knocking on desk door having them let me in for a biscuit party totally. before I'm actually going to the doctor. Or you have like, a, you're like, well, I've got five things wrong with me, so I guess I'll go to the doctor. Yeah, and it's, you're it's just like, like, check it's off the list. Off. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, and when that happens, it's like, when I go in, I'm paying out my literal ass to mm-hmm. be there. Like, I'm going to get all my questions answered at once. Yeah. And at the same time, every time I go to the doctor, almost every time, I feel like I'm being rushed through. Well, yeah, because by doctors, because medical care, the, your mm-hmm. doc, my doctor particularly, she, I have heard that she works till like one o'clock in the morning. She's yeah. very passionate about what she does, and they've she, got so many patients. Like some like, doctors it's are, like every yeah. fifteen twenty minutes from nine o'clock in the morning till five o'clock at night, and then mm-hmm. she has to do all of her reports all the paperwork after yeah. that. You yeah. know, so it's there. So I'm not making excuses, but also I understand that like. Everyone's overworked. There's no one here to do any of the jobs. Mm-hmm. And we've got to get all of the answers that we can. It's just, it's it's a, it's a fucking clusterfuck. No, there's that version. And then there's also the version that I've experienced. And this is different as, um, <laughs> hmm. I want to say this without being uh, misandrist. As a person with a vagina, mm-hmm. do you know how often male identifying people have told me that my pain is cramps? That I'm having my menses. And I'm it's like, disgusting. I'm like, first of all, sit down, bitch. I have been doing this since yeah. I was a literal yep. child, and you are dare sitting here and telling me that it's just cramps that you, I'm having. That has a degree, but doesn't have never, a vagina. Has never experienced Are you going to tell me, yeah, what that everything I'm dealing with is because of my vagina? My, um, excuse me. This is the my fuck up. silent feminine rage because this yeah. is how often. I have met this this male presenting doctor that has told me, well, what you're dealing with is the menses. And I'm like, get absolutely ferociously fucked because that is not true. <laughs> I have, that's, I that's, have to whisper so I don't so scream. scream. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I cannot in any way relate to that. I do not have a vagina, but I so I'm not speaking to that experience. But the only thing that I can talk about is just the concept of I know what this feels like. Mm-hmm. I know what I know what X, Y, and Z feels like, and I'm coming to you because it's not X, Y, and Z. So don't exactly. tell me it's X, Y, and Z. And that's how I know yeah. what that feels like. Exactly. This is not that this at is not all. That. Never has been. You but, know. But because well, so because I've been met with that so many times, but also just because I always feel like for one reason or another, a doctor is rushing me. I do I do my research beforehand about what this could possibly be because I'm like. While I have you in front of me and you're thinking about 50 other patients, I'm going to I'm going to do half your job for you and narrow it down because like this is how it feels. This is the research that I've done that narrows down. Yes, I am an anxious person. Yes, I have hypochondriac tendencies at the same time. I know when something is wrong with me and I know what the fucking menses feel like. Derek, like yes, <laughs> and the, the amount of times I've went into a doctor's office or called someone, they're like, "Well, you know, you're gonna need to do this, done that." Oh well, have you tried tried that? Well, the next step would be did that. Yeah, like I've already, I yes, I've gone through this process. I know what this looks like. I've yeah. already looked up the symptoms. I've I've narrowed off. The, I've tried ibuprofen. I, yeah, that's why I'm here. I'm exactly. here because I did all of these things. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want to. Should we take a break or do you want to hear a story? Take a Let's take a break. I, want it, I think we should take a break, but I also want to hear that story. So. You can see my, my ears steaming. <laughs> yes. Okay. Let's take a break. Uh, you know what I'm so sick of? Let uh, me tell you. Let me tell you what I'm so sick of. I don't know if I could narrow, I don't know if I could narrow.
narrow it down to <laughs> the things I'm sick of to fit in the next hour. <laughs> what I'm sick of is exactly what happened with the with the story I promised before the break that I'm yes. going to tell now. So back around Thanksgiving this year. No, let me back a little further. Around Halloween, I decided, you know, I've been doing a lot of trauma work recently. There's a specific part of my trauma I'm going to start addressing, which, and I haven't talked about this before, is I'm a survivor of sexualized violence. Mm-hmm. Socks. And it yep. sucks how many people are going to hear that and go, oh, yeah, and understand it. Like, oh, yeah, oh, this it's world. beyond it's so fucking common that it's disgusting. It, it is, especially for female bodied people. Not mm-hmm. that it's not that it's any less common for male bodied people, just, non-binary yeah. people. I have yet to meet a female identifying person that hasn't been a victim, a victim. No, excuse me, survivor of some sort of sexual harassment, mm-hmm. some sort in their yep. life. I'm a survivor of sexualized violence. Around Halloween, I realized, I'm like, okay, you know what? I really need to take some steps and really address and and work through a lot of this because it it affects a lot of things. Oh, yeah. Fast forward to Thanksgiving. I start feeling some discomfort in in the kitty cat. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit that's outside of the outside of the norm. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, You know, I don't I don't believe in in oversharing about the female body because we. Don't need talk to talk about enough. We need to talk about it. If, mm-hmm. if you know, a bunch of uh, old white men are going to take laws about it, I'm going to tell you where my uterus is and how it yep, feels today, absolutely. okay? Absolutely. Yes, Apparently thank you. everyone else feels like they can talk about it, so. Yeah, so I'm going to mm-hmm. tell you what's going on with my mm-hmm. fallopians, ma'am. And um, so it's it's one of those pains that starts getting worse and worse. I'm like, what is, what is going on? I no longer menstruate. And so I was like, it can't be that. But that's what's also tough about, you know, not menstruating. It's because of my birth control. Mm-hmm. Um, what's tough about that is it is kind of hard. That becomes something that's so much of how you recognize what's going on with gotcha. with the lady system mm-hmm. that when you don't have that indicator, it can be a little more a little more frustrating. Um, couldn't get into a general practitioner. So ding dong, it's Planned Parenthood. And we love them. Yes. We love Planned Parenthood. They take Absolutely. they do so much. Oh, my gosh. So I go into Planned Parenthood and I'm like, hey, here's what's going on. Like, this is this is what I've been experiencing and it's it's just getting sharper and it's just getting worse. And, you know, I, I figure it's just like maybe some kind of infection that maybe I haven't had before or whatever's going on. The fantastic doctor that I talked to there um, was like, did, did an examination. She's like, I believe you have pelvic inflammatory disease. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Um, which was like, you know, when I did my Google searching of symptoms... I always do, do you do this? Where I'm like, okay, here's what's wrong with me. Type in my symptoms. I come up with like three different scenarios. Two that are like likely and one that's like my worst case. Oh, where it's like, I, okay, I, I have a... I, I, options. I have yeah. options. Yes. I have a two thick. So it's either like I've got, you know, some sort of gum disease. I've got uh, uh, like, I don't know, like a, a tooth infection, mouth cancer. Or like, yes, <laughs> yeah. Yes, 100%. I, I, with this ear infection, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm either going to... I'm either going to take antibiotics and it's going to go away and I'm never going to have it again or I'm going deaf. Yeah, like, or, exactly. Or, or my ear is going to fall off and I'm going to go deaf. You and know, you like, need the worst case scenario. So you're like, I've thought of this. I'm also telling myself that's probably not going to happen. Yes. In this scenario, pelvic inflammatory disease was my worst case scenario. Fuck. And so she tells me that and I'm like, well, shit. And I'm like, what do I do about that? So essentially what happens with pelvic inflammatory disease, um, it can be caused by a lot of different things. Um, but often what happens is bacteria passes through the vagina up to up to the cervix, gets past the cervix, it enters the uterus. Once it enters the uterus, it often gets trapped up there because the uterus, bless her, the uterus and vagina system is its own little uh, micro ecosystem. 
small little ecosystem okay. um, where you've got to keep all kinds of different good bacteria balanced with some bad bacteria with yeast and like all these different kinds of things like vaginas should really come with a handbook but they don't um and i, I always tell my partner i'm like i hope i have a penis in my next life because if something's wrong with that you can see it on the outside i just have to be like I gotta, you know, get a Ouija board to talk to her. Um, so there's, there's an. I need an interpreter. Like, I do. I need a, a whole. Yeah. And it, and she's a fickle slut too. Oh my god, she's a mean kitty sometimes. But my vagina is a mean cat. Anyway. <laughs> but so you know, I was I was in the early phases of pelvic inflammatory disease. When that happens, it's when you start feeling pain. When it gets really bad, there's there's abscesses on the walls of the uterus, like pus-filled abscesses. So I was very fortunate to catch it early, get on antibiotics, start to to work that out. One of the issues when you take antibiotics for any person is you not only flush out bad bacteria, but all the good stuff too. So while you're on antibiotics, you're often more susceptible to any any germs that you're around, any kind of like cough or cold or whatever. So it can be really frustrating. And when you're dealing with uh, bacterial infections that need the treatment of antibiotics, most people will will get kind of recurring infections that like stack up with it. Oh, so, God. and if you're treating a lot of bacterial infections at once, you can develop antibiotic resistance. Like, while antibiotics are good, there's good and and bad to it. Yeah. Now, if you're a person with a vagina and you take antibiotics, it flushes out good and bad bacteria, which means that micro ecosystem I was talking about you got going on in your female parts, totally thrown off balance oh god it's a nightmare so what often happens for so many people there's a specific kind of yeast called candida which you probably have heard of as a yeast infection is when there is an overgrowth of candida candida is normal and common when someone with a vagina takes antibiotics the candida is like oh hi there you need me to come back and then comes back full force and you get an infection. My God. So it's it's like a very frustrating thing. Like, And there's a bajillion things that can go on. There can be yeast infections. There can be bacterial vaginosis. There can be urinary tract infections. Like when something's going on with the kitty cat, as I like to call her, you got to strap in that a bunch of things are going to go wrong with the kitty cat. So I took like, because I was dealing with PID, I was on, uh, let me think. It's like three kinds of antibiotics at once. Like wow. they were just like, we're going to wipe your system, get it, get it all cleared out. And I'm like, okay, that's good. Take my course. I'm starting to feel better. One night I wake up because my back just hurts so bad. I'm like, oh no, it's back. I could only describe PID as a, a rumba full of knives oh, in God. my abdomen. And I start to get this back pain. I'm like, oh no, it's coming back. Um, because it was the middle of the night and I was in so much pain. I was like, I'm, I'm going to go to the emergency room. Like, this is really painful. This is uncomfortable. Like I need... Uh, I need attention for this. So I go in, do my check, and explain my symptoms. And um, a, a male doctor comes in, and I explain. I'm like, I had a diagnosis of PID, and this is what happened. He's like, PID? And I was like, yes. He's like, seems overdiagnosed. You would be, like, writhing in pain if you had PID. I'm like, yeah, bud. Yeah. Um, no, let me let me <laughs> clarify you would be writhing in yeah. pain if you had this. Exactly. I'm not like, me. You... I deal with this. <laughs> not this, but like. Do you understand the difference when you are a person with a uterus? Do you know how different your pain threshold is yeah. just from being yep. born that way? Yep. And I was like, sir, sit down. He's like, seems overdiagnosed. Like, you can't. it can't be that bad. And I just like, just dealing with this guy. I'm like, can I speak to a female nurse, please? And I had to not, not only speak to a female nurse to be taken seriously but because of that particular situation i had to disclose to her 
my history just to be taken seriously, oh which was such an overstep. Yeah. I was like, fine. Turns out, not not a recurrence of my PAD. I got like a CT scan. I got an I got all kinds of like invasive procedures that night to check out what was going wrong to describe my symptoms. What they didn't do was any kind of culture. It was just a fucking yeast infection. Oh my god! Like not hard to figure out, and it, and you know it was one of those things where it was like it kept going on for months and months for me. The reason I tell this story is not only because yes, do some research about what's going wrong. You know what's up with your buddy. Do what I did. Advocate for yourself when yeah. you don't feel like you're being understood. Ask for someone else. Go somewhere where you're going to be understood. I wish I hadn't gone to the ER. I wish I'd gone back to Planned Parenthood where they are qualified to deal with sexual health, which is what I was dealing with. I mean, you were in so much pain, though. That's what I, the ER I, is supposed to be for. It's supposed you know? to be, but you know what? It's not, it's not. great. And you know, the, the advocating for yourself is 100% necessary. Mm-hmm. Like eighty percent of the time that you go to the doctor, maybe ninety percent. Yeah, but I, that is something I have struggled with nonstop because of two things. One, my 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 past. Of, you know, like we weren't allowed to speak up. We weren't. We didn't have a voice. We weren't, weren't allowed to. Mm-hmm. You know, like we weren't allowed to. Um, I'm, did I interrupt your story? Was there more? To oh, that? the only the only final point I was going to make was the reason all that started cropping up was not only because you know I had an infection coming up. Now I'm finally infection free. It took oh, till nice. literally last week. I've I followed Whoa. up. Yeah, so from Thanksgiving to last week, it is now the first week of March. As how long I was dealing with this. Through all that time, I've been coping with my history of sexualized violence. All these things started cropping up. So anyone out there who's who's dealing with trauma and is choosing to address it for the first time, and to quote a very famous trauma book, the body does keep score. Yep. It will remember. So if you are someone that is wanting to address any of your trauma, is starting to talk about those things and is starting to feel sick, that is valid. That is normal. That is to be expected. Because once you reawaken those things, your body does remember. It yep. will not only try to purge all that negative negativity from you. Your immune system is affected by stress, including the stress of coping with one's trauma. So yep. please... Please like, take care of yourself. Prepare. Be prepared. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Be prepared. Have a support system that's an emotional support system like friends or family if that's part of your life. Honestly, talk to your, your doctor or some sort of medical professional and say like, hey, as hard as it is to say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm going to start to do with maybe my mental health team or an online service, whatever you do. Make yourself a game plan because coping with trauma not only affects your emotional health, it does affect your physical health so so yes, much 100%. i can attest to this 100 percent. i just went through it it's rough out there yeah it is tough really 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 challenging yeah that's that's all i was gonna say yeah i'm i'm glad that that i'm glad that that <laughs> you finished that because i i didn't mean to interrupt you but no, i no, just no. you know thought but yeah, that is like that's something that not a lot of people focus on is the like preparing your both side preparing your physical body for when you're dealing with your mental health and vice versa preparing your mental health when you're dealing with physical yeah. health issues it's they like they're so directly correlated and yet so many times they're treated separately like because like your brain runs this shit absolutely and <laughs> like, like you're like you're you're you have a, a ton of serotonin receptors in your gut mm-hmm. and like you you know it's just the, how they are all completely intertwined is so wildly fascinating to me that they're not treated 
parallel. They're, they're not like, oh, well, let's right. like, you know, like, let's do this test and do this test and let's also get you evaluate, evaluated. Like, no one does that. No mm-hmm. one's like, oh, you've got gut issues. Let's send you to a therapist. No one does that, mm-hmm. you know? And it, 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 yeah, so it's, yeah, anyways. And to, and to circle back to kind of how we started on this about the effects of growing up in toxic religion on top of this, that that concept of I can feel this happening, I should pray about it. When you mm-hmm. grow up in that and then start to grow out of it, I've, I've seen this in myself and a lot of people that I've loved. There there still is that that habit of like, I feel this. I'm going to wish it, hope it, pray it away. Yep. And then these things go so unaddressed because you're brought up in a world where it is. I should offer this up or I, I sinned and therefore it is my fault. Be it be it sexual health, physical health, just mm-hmm. stress in general. You do really, if you'll pardon the phrase, you do carry the cross of feeling 100%. feeling sick and growing up in that, especially with so many things that cause, you know, like body dysmorphia, for example. I was a kid that was raised to fast. And yeah. I was told anytime that I ate in excess because literally because I was hungry and I was a growing teenager, I was a glutton. Yep. You know, those kinds of things. So yep. because of that, I've had to relearn how to validate that I'm feeling hungry. Yep. Or even oh, how to validate, like, uh, have you ever experienced this where I'm like, I'm doing a task, but I have to go to the bathroom? I'm like, well, I have Every to day. finish this. Every day. And then I'm allowed to go to the bathroom. Like, mm-hmm. so many of those things stack up. And that's a big part of the habit changing when it comes oh, yeah. to growing out of toxic religion, how to take care of your body so that that chronic illness doesn't crop up, doesn't occur. You don't end up with things like like bladder infections or, oh, yeah. or stomach issues, like yep. gastrointestinal problems, like... It, it really does all come together. I remember getting in trouble as a kid for going going pee during church. Like yes. getting, getting up during church to go pee. I would get so scolded. Yeah, I would get, especially, I always for some reason loved to sit on the front row as a kid. I don't know why. I was very independent too, so I didn't want to sit with my parents. So as soon as I was of the age that I could sit by myself, which was like a pew over from my parents, we always wanted to sit on the front row because that's where the best Christians sat. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if you sat on the front row, we weren't allowed to get up and go pee because yeah. we were on the front row. Mm-hmm. And so I would legitimately get in trouble. So you just stopped going pee until after church. Yeah. Like you just do. And, and, and also like, you know, the, the, the survival, you know, the survival mechanics, of, you know, when you have an abusive uh, parent, mm-hmm. uh, an angry abusive parent, you know, you don't like if, if things are quiet, you don't want to interrupt that. Oh, and so, my and my dad and interrupting a process. My dad is also OCD and, and, and uh very like like should be medicated ocd like Ooh. he like it's a comp- it's a 100 percent disorder mm. so and he is only was only angry so if there was a process going and you interrupted the process it would infuriate him mm. and so you just learned how to like not interrupt the process unless you absolutely had to so you wait until you're about ready to fucking piss yourself before you go pee you yeah. know and then it would be like you know he'd be mad because he had to wait for you Mm-hmm. You know, to get done going pee so that we could continue this. He never, like, he would never pause a show if I had to go pee. So if I wanted to see a show, yeah. I had to just wait till I was, it was over to go pee. And it was just like that, that, like, things like that you don't think about that really genuinely affect you. And, yeah. And one of the things I was thinking about, about like going to the doctor and advocating for yourself is I have this, so there was, there, there's layers. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, there was huge, intense shame over uh, on on sexual issues 
and growing up in church. So you oh, didn't talk about yeah. it. You didn't do it. You didn't. Nothing. Yeah. So sex is for married people. Ma- excuse me. Married heterosexual yes. cisgendered people exactly and those are the only people that should ever think and worry about sex or not well no you should worry about sex exactly. eyes of god and did i well being raised and identifying as female i was not supposed to enjoy sex no. it was supposed to be a holy act to produce children and to to uh, ring satan's doorbell if you will was uh sinful yep. and lustful yeah and yeah. it was basically like this is because your husband needs it and also so you can bear children that's yes. it. All that it is it. is a, a, it's a duty. Yeah. It's an and, obligation. And we didn't, but the funny thing is we didn't even talk about it that much. Like we didn't even talk. Really? We didn't. It, I was raised in, in a church and a family that if you didn't talk about it, it didn't, didn't exist. That's why I talk about how we didn't believe being gay was wrong. We believed it wasn't real. That like. It, oh, my Lanta. It, we also, they all, we were also taught to think the same thing about addiction. And so like <sighs> cigarettes, alcoholism, and being gay were like the three it was like the the trinity of sin. <laughs> the the funny the how trinity. they all kind of occur together too. Drama. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There we go. Um. Uh. Yeah. So that we genuinely believe that if you came to the altar and like they would tell stories about people putting their pack of cigarettes on the altar and praying until they were delivered and then getting up and never smoking again. And I'm like, that's just white knuckling it. That's just yeah. people just either one lied and were smoking in secret I was or two. Say. Or two, they just white knuckled it and were fucking miserable. Uh-huh. Like some people can do that, but it's 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 there. It's uncommon. No. They're the exception, and it's yeah. not healthy. Like yeah. it's, you just don't do that, you know. Anyways, so so uh, we just didn't talk about sex. So mm-hmm. trying and then being diagnosed with HIV, which is because of my, you know, when you're one of the a method. I didn't. God, I, we we should have a whole, a whole entire episode about. Pardon me. I think. Tony and I started to talk about it and then we never did because we can't, you know, hold on to a subject. But the difference between. Yeah. Um, We're no better. No, absolutely <laughs> not. No, that is not. We do not follow a, th- a, a topic on this on this a show. That's not is, what we do. Yeah. A plan um, for whenever we have a plan for the show, it's very much how I address uh, my days working in a school where it's like, I know exactly what I'm going to do today. I have a plan. Then I get there and it's a wish. It's and a, that's exactly how this <laughs> yeah, show is. 100%. <laughs> it is a wish. But we talked about the difference or maybe it was me and Emerson. It doesn't matter. Um. <laughs> The difference between, uh, like, uh, uh, like sacrifice and self-harm. Yes. And, and uh, so I, one of the methods of self-harm that I did not even know was a method of self-harm is, like, unsafe sexual um, mm. uh, patterns, mm-hmm. which is how I got my, my, my HIV diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I've been HIV positive since 2014. Um, I've been diagnosed since 2014. To this day, I, it is a, a conscious, uncomfortable act to be honest with my doctor and my nurse about my sexual habits. You know, they ask, do, do you need to do any tests? Do, should we run any, you know, do we need to test for, you know, the things? Do we need to do any swabs? Do we need to do? And to this day, I have I have actually been in a doctor's appointment where I've been like, they were like, oh, so have you have you been sexually active in the last six months? No. Uh, I'm so sorry. Yes, I absolutely have. Wow. Like I've been in that. Like no, I haven't. No, haven't done anything. I'm so sorry. Yes, I have. I need this test and this test. You it's know, it's crazy like, how deep that that sits. So 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 I, I so that sorry. <laughs> so that's one layer yeah. that like ties into medical health. The, that the directly layer, related. So what you're talking about here when you talk about the the 
when you grow up in toxic religion and you have a behavior that's considered like sinful or, yes. or against God some way, the the way that you grow accustomed to the self-preservation of yeah. lying to avoid shame. Yeah, exactly. So okay. you, you, there's so much shame centered around that that I, I go into this medical situation carrying that shame of this topic so I don't yeah. want to be honest with my doctor and that's how it is when you're growing up in toxic religion yep. even with something as simple as coming out of the closet I don't know about you before I fully came out I had a, a lot of uh, oh, one, not straight relations and was just like no I haven't I just full on lied about it to protect 100%. myself to protect myself from the fact that I wasn't ready to admit I was yeah. just like no this is just a thing I'm, I'm doing and then I would completely disconnect because yep. of the shame 100% mm-hmm. with the time frame that I got my diagnosis I more than likely um, was infected with HIV I don't know if that's the right term but I'm more more likely contracted HIV before I came out like mm. with like I had I had sexual experiences <laughs> like many times before I came out like you just don't you even when you're doing it yeah. And living it, you don't talk about it. You lie to avoid the shame. shame. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so that's layer one. Layer one. Layer two was, after, when, I'm talking a lot about my, uh, a lot about my diagnosis, and but it doesn't matter. It's your choice. Um, I got my diagnosis, as I said earlier, by ending up in the hospital with meningitis and almost dying. Oh, my goodness. And so I had the, the uh, trauma of doctor's office and hospitals so every time i would go to a doctor's office or a hospital i had that i was legitimately triggered and i and i was i i would my heart rate would increase i would be overwhelmed i would be stressed and i but i had to go to the doctor fucking every month yeah and i have to go to the doctor every six months now and i get sick often so i'm at the doctor like every few months this you know uh, for the rest of my life you have to face that trigger every single time it's better now because i go to the same office to the same doctor with the same nurse and so it's routine helps trauma 100 (laughs) percent. so it's not that it's 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 easier in the sense that since i know what to expect it's it's I feel safer. I feel mm-hmm. safe with all my physicians. But mm-hmm. we're talking years. We're talking eight, nine years. Oh, yeah. Um, that it's taken to get to this point. Um, yeah. And, and so there's that level. There's that as Just well. The, the phobia. I can totally, not to interrupt you, but no, to like totally. piggyback on that. Um, I, since I had like so much, so many issues with emotional regulation, I was in the closet growing up. Like I was very much lying to avoid shame. Um, I There were many times as a teenager I self-harmed. I was a cutter mm-hmm. and I attempted to unalive myself. When that would happen, I would, I would wind up in the, I would of course cry out for help and what, and what I thought was a goodbye, you know, that yes, kind of routine. Totally. And then I would end up in the emergency room often, you know, receiving treatment for that. Every single time that happened, my, my father and my sister are the very religious members of my immediate family. They would come with me. They would not speak to me. They would sit in the corner of the room far from me and pray a rosary. And it was, it just, it, it made it worse. Like, so as I'm being revived from trying to unalive myself, I'm being prayed for by people that are not showing human compassion. Not compassion, not empathy, not concern. Just None like, of it. like praying for you in that like judgmental like here we go again they're just being dramatic exactly. they just need jesus they just need you because suicide's a sin because suicide's a sin exactly, exactly. Yep. so i've i've had to deal with that same that that phobia of getting medical help so even when i reached my adulthood 
and I realized like, okay, I have to, you know, start taking care of my mental health. I want to do this for me. I, you know, I have chronic anemia. So anytime I had to go and get like blood tests regularly, I'd have to face that same phobia where I was yep. like, okay, they're not even in this room. They're not going to be sitting in a corner praying a rosary for me, but like I can, I can remember yep. and I yep. can feel it. Yep. And it, yeah, I definitely relate to that. So you've got those two layers. And then the third layer for me is the, I'm a chronic people pleaser. Um, cause it was, Hello. Yeah, it's how you, it's how I would pacify my, my it's angry father. It's how you survive it's abuse, It's how you survive baby. abuse. And, uh, in church and in, in my home life, you just chronic people pleaser. So, and I, I think I deal with, I'm, this is something I'm newly learning about, but the rejection sensitivity, which I think is hand in hand with chronic people pleasing. That just made me so defensive because I know with having never heard that phrase before this moment when you said it I immediately got defensive you've never heard like, that nope okay so I'm and not I alone already in, know like, not oh. knowing about it <laughs> yeah. I'm very enraged right now Aiden yep we should look this up afterwards because it's a it's a it's a part of ADHD as well oh but I don't want mm-hmm. to I know Ooh, which um, means it's probably a thing <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing and I'm just recently learned about it rejection sensitivity bye yeah see bye. you later we'll, I'll wrap this up in a couple minutes um, Go. Uh, my abandonment issues have a friend <laughs> Apparently, I do have a family. It's drama. A family of symptoms. A family of... <laughs> of personality disorders. That's my next book, Family of Symptoms. <laughs> the third in a trilogy. Oh, uh, gosh. Um, I'm sorry. So rejection sensitivity. Oh. But, oh, that... W- so I, I I intend on writing a trilogy, by the way. And the first one's going to be uh, Life with Nails. And it's... Uh, um, it's uh, the the hand. It's hand, a hand. Get the whew, get. The, are we ready? Are you sitting down? You're sitting down. You're fine. <laughs> it's a hand with acrylic nails uh-huh. um, on, and then there's the hole the from stigmata. the nails of Jesus. Oh my! Of being yeah. So it's life with nails, and it's talking about being a queer, feminine person growing up in a toxic religious environment. The you next should do a podcast about that. I know before I you write a book. Yeah, I, th- I thought about that actually. Mm. The next one in the series is going to be called uh, 19 Nylons and Counting. And have you heard of the... 19 uh, Kids and Counting? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's going to be about how, like, drag helped me, like, how drag saved my life. Beautiful. Because I did, I don't know if I've explained this. I, th- I think I did on my coming out, but I did drag in February. Um, not this February, when I uh, mm-hmm. got my diagnosis back in 2014. I did drag in February for the first time. Ended up in the hospital, almost died in March. Was back on the stage in April. Um, performing because it was the and I created this character that wasn't sick wasn't struggling wasn't anything and I got to live in that fantasy once a month and it was the only thing that kept me alive legitimately Mm, good for you there's yeah and and uh so it fucking drag saved my life literally Mm mm-hmm so 1990s and counting, and then the third one in the trilogy we'll call um, Family of Symptoms. Family of Symptoms. <laughs> you know oh, that my, actually? My, I, found, I found my chosen family, but also, I, you know. There we go. 19 nylons. That's, that's something else. Um, you know, I've been, I've been sitting here this episode talking about how PTSD manifests. Mm-hmm. But I, what I failed to mention is a, a bunch of the things that help cope with those symptoms. There are things like, you know, meditation, deep breathing to help release yeah. and, and calm a lot of those stress chemicals. Another great thing that's proven a lot, and I can relate to this when you say drag saved your life. Um, when I was about 13, that was the first time I'd really coped with addiction. I won't get yeah. into it right now, but it was sure. like the first time I'd really coped with addiction. First time I really tried to majorly unalive myself, and I was just like at my lowest low. At 13, oh. I was like, I was like, I'm already, I'm, oh. I'm already done. The thing that saved so my sorry. life, of all things, was Shakespearean theater. Oh yes, I started. Theater. Yeah, I started 
performing for the first time. Rewind maybe two years ago. I'm reading, I can't remember which trauma book, but it was talking about how performance art, be it dance or theater or drag, is one of the best possible coping mechanisms for people with trauma. Because you get to not be you you for a minute. You can disassociate and escape in a way that's, that's safe and encouraged and, most importantly, validated. Yep. That's exactly. a huge thing because applause, oh again. It, it's life changing. I hate attention. I love applause. You know what I mean? Yes. One, <laughs> I was just thinking about that. Yeah. To, I was thinking about that today about how in my daily life, I can, it, it, I fucking, I can't make a phone call, but you put me in drag, I can walk up in front on a stage in front of 200 people I don't know and be. Yeah, and be on, on it, just funny and good, and I can do whatever the fuck I need. Tell them to get out of the building. I can do that. Tell them to give me money. Yeah. I can do that. You know, like someone tries to take my bag, I'm gonna apologize. But as soon as I'm a character, I'll 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 beat you. I'll beat with you with that bag. <laughs> <laughs> it's full of bricks it's now. Full of bricks, exactly. Yeah, hate um, hate attention. Love, love a well, maybe that's because of my <laughs> newly discovered rejection sensitivity. Thank you for that. I'm like really uh, you're salty. You're welcome, and I'm sorry. You were gonna say uh, something about that, by the way. Oh, full circle. Yes, oh, we full did circle. it. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Um, we so came we have back the layer of the shame. We have the layer of yep. the um, uh, you know medical phobia, and then the mm-hmm. people pleasing rejection sensitivity. So can you define that? Because while I feel it based on those words, can you define it? I for don't me? know if I can define it properly. I've just heard it and I've heard what it is and I've heard it described. So I absorbed okay. it, but I don't know if I understand it, if that makes sense. Yeah. But it's, 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 it, I think it's a part, it, I know it's a part of ADHD and it's just where you are sensitive to any type of rejection, even like, and not like rejection, like, not like a rejection, like, I don't like you. Like, a, hey, me uh, neither. Hey, do you want to, <laughs> <laughs> like, a, hey, do you want to get coffee? Oh, I can't today. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm and sorry it, I even asked. Yeah. And in oh. your head, you're like, they hate me. They don't want to get coffee with me because they hate me because I'm a horrible person and they, they secretly despise me. Oh, my God. And it's that that any type of thing that you that you think is rejection, you take it personally. Don't quote me on this. This is how I absorbed the information, not understood it. So it's a thing and it's a really difficult thing. Yeah. I, you know what? I'll, I'll catch you when I'm done. It's fine. You can just take a nap. I'm you need crawl, a break. I'm crawling need, under the table because I just don't like this. You need the rest of the time to process yeah. it. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. <laughs> um, I, isn't it fun discovering new symptoms? It's, just it's fun the word. It's fun the word. I think I think attacked. Fun attacked is, is the word is. I'm using. <laughs> <laughs> because, and most importantly, when you're coping with trauma, you, you must laugh, laugh at it. Yeah. <laughs> yep, and, those are and, your only two options. And at the advanced level, you're laughing while you're openly yeah. sobbing <laughs> yeah yeah that that, yeah. that reaction <laughs> exactly you're either um, avoiding laughing or crying and there's yeah. no in between or you're doing both yeah my and therapist never knows if it's going to be a, uh, me reporting my petty drama day or if it's going to be a trauma day it's yeah. either drama or trauma and that's drama all i'm ever talking about <laughs> drama or trauma <laughs> um so anyways the whole point of that was to say that advocating for myself in the doctor's office is one of the most difficult things i do and i have a really hard time doing it yeah and i don't do it most of the time and it's taken years for me to even be honest about what's going on much less which because you got to work through that gob stopper yep. of feelings before you can get which to, del- sorry, totally interrupted sorry oh no just, i was trailing which del- that process delays treatment and delayed yeah. treatment complicates the issues and you don't get the treatment for the things you need so then it compounds the issues so then by the time you are 
honest or upfront with what's going on. Like by the time I would actually be honest with my doctor about what I needed to be six months ago, I've got another problem already. And so that one's not the severe one. It's this one's the severe one, but I'm having a hard time being honest because I got to deal with the one that was six months ago before I can get to this one because one needs to be done before the other. But now I've got another issue that I need to talk to you about that we can't deal with, you know? And so it just compounds. The family of symptoms. The family of symptoms. And then it just compounds into this like fucking snowball of of chronic health issues that I'm too embarrassed to talk about. Yeah. And it's really, really, really challenging. And I never once, I never associated that with my trauma. I just thought, you know what I'm saying? I never realized that that was a trauma thing for so long. Even though, and, and, What's what's fascinating is everything you just described about that 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 whole gobstopper of things mm-hmm. that you need to work through all those different layers. As you're describing that, I'm like, yes, I felt those things my whole life. I've gone through that exact same. It goes, it goes the the shame, the I just had a strong what <laughs> uh, the, the shame, the phobia, the, the shame. Thank you. Trigger, the shame, phobia the phobia, mm-hmm. phobia slash trigger, and, and the, then the people pleasing, the people pleasing. Had those things my whole life took years to recognize them for what they were as trauma responses how do you i mean identification is like step number one of dealing with with anything be it a a, uh the fact that you're trauma responding or just having a physical illness you need to go to the doctor about in the first place yep i i want to admire you for a second for identifying all of that and and doing that work and i hope that that kind of Maybe we've saved a couple listeners a step by spelling that yeah, out like that's, that. That's the goal. I think I'm just going to upload this episode today. <laughs> Who fucking cares if it's out of out of out of sequence? Whatever. Yeah. Then yeah. the following question I would have is: with each of those layers, what do you find is is a coping mechanism to deal with each one? Because I say I I know for me, when I'm trying to change behavior. I very much try to parent myself, and like I try to reparent by saying like, okay, you're feeling this. What would I? What would I say to a friend or a young child that was having these feelings so that they didn't grow up to be the traumatized mess that I am? And I try to talk to myself that way. So it's like the, you know, lying to cover up shame. It's like, you know, I would say to myself, there is no need to feel shame over something you can't control. Like, like okay. something like uh-huh. that. How, do, you, do you get what I'm I saying? 100% like, how do. would you? How do you deal with with each of those layers to to get yourself to get to that moment where you're like, okay, doc, here's what's up. What do you do? Um, two things, two major things. One, and this doesn't isn't really something I've done. It's really kind of just the 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 I, I, just an amazing thing that I've been fortunate to experience, which is the nurse that I have mm. is fucking incredible. Yeah. And and now we are able the the way the system's set up, she's got a work phone that she can deal with that you know so she can contact patients with. And, oh, that's and, awesome. And so this is, I think, strictly specific. This is a specific because I have HIV not just like a general thing that is available to all patients yeah this is my HIV nurse so I'm specifically talking to her she does a lot of advocating for me so I can talk to her Mm. a lot about a lot of my symptoms and then she can and then she kind of like passes it on to my doctor so by the time I've talked to my doctor she's kind of aware of a lot of what's going on that's still a great that's still a great thing to talk about and point out is um you know if you have the right team around you mm-hmm. that helps so much so, be that your medical team your yep. your emotional support having the right team around you is like one of the best possible freaking ways you're ever going to be able to work so, through your sometimes shit the only way not the best yeah. but sometimes the only sometimes way. it so i guess i would break that down into if you can't like sometimes 
advocating for yourself just isn't an option, period. Mm -hmm. It's just not an option. And so you have to find someone who can. So sometimes you have to find that safe person. Maybe that's your family member. Maybe that's a friend. Maybe that's someone you take with you to your doctor's appointments that you've explained before um, what's going on. And so finding an advocate. So if you can't advocate for yourself, find someone who can. Yeah. um, And 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 lean on that person for those situations like love that heavily and and even if that's your cat (laughs) even if you have to take an emotional support animal to your appointments (laughs) do it yeah so that would be and and i know that finding an advocate is also challenging but finding an advocate is is to me has been less difficult working through those processes to get to the advocate than it is to try to do it with with the with the authoritative position whatever that is your therapist yeah. your doctor your your psychiatrist your whatever it is there's lots of different kind of advocates out there i know for you you have a wonderful hiv nurse as i've been working through my trauma i want to give a shout out to the north coast rape crisis team because oh, they yeah. have helped me They're so incredible. much to mm-hmm. to cope and if if you are a survivor of sexualized violence of any kind i highly recommend giving them a visit that's north coast race rape crisis team yeah they're incredible there are so many resources out there if you need advocacy and any kind of advocacy there is someone there to help whether Ah. they're close to you or you find them through a phone call on the internet they are there i actually should reach out to them as as a survivor of sexual assault as well i that's one thing that i haven't specifically done is like is, is like I, I acknowledge it and I talk about it but like getting that specific advocacy help I actually am not I'd like, it's just been yeah. one of the th- it's on the list I just gotta get there yeah. you know Advocate, but, advocacy for yourself and assistance with advocacy yes great way to work through that shame now when it comes to the the phobic layer how do you how do you cope with that so the so the sh- so another thing for the shame layer, I just oh, wanted yeah, to add. An- no, 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 no. Th- thank you for going, moving on because I would have <laughs> just stayed on the same topic for the whole time. <laughs> That's what I'm um, But another thing with the shame layer is what's what's worked for me is um, doing the like, how would I feel about, how would I feel if this person was like that? So so mm-hmm. like, oh, I feel shame because I had sex one time with this one person. Would I would I would I feel this way about that person having sex? No. Yeah. Fucking fucking be a be a slut have sex with every single person you can possibly find is that do i think that's bad no absolutely not okay well then now i need to translate that to me definitely how you judge yourself versus how you would judge yeah other people what i think what i think what i think less of that person because they asked for you know a a a sti test Mm -hmm. (laughs) what's the word uh what i think less of that person because they get tested regularly no i would applaud that person for doing that that's fucking incredible it's great self like self-care good for them okay so then why so then so then my shame for this is not coming from a real situation it's coming from my trauma so let's see if i can work through so like so like how would i feel about that person doing it i'd feel great okay cool then this isn't this isn't a thing it's my trauma so advocacy versus realistic universal set of rules and exactly and and to kind of like simplify that even is i often will ask myself where's this for who's saying that who told me that who told me that do i believe that or was i taught where was this voice where is this voice coming from is it my father fuck him you know (laughs) is it religion fuck that okay cool so it's not it's 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 my father or it's it's religion okay cool neither one of those voices need to be listened to so now (laughs) what am i working with you know so Mm. those are the two things for the shame Mm -hmm. for the phobia um i 
Unfortunately, I don't really have a coping mechanism for the phobia because I don't have an option. Yeah. So going to the like, so for me, I guess my coping mechanism is like I always have the option of not taking my meds. I always have the option of not going to the doctor. I always have the option of staying away, but I want to take care of myself and I, I want to be happy and I want to be healthy and I want to live the best life I can. And unfortunately, the only way I can do that is by going to the doctor. So I don't know that I have a coping mechanism as much as just a fucking, I, I took my survival, my survival instinct and pointed it towards surviving that living. I would call that a coping mechanism. I would would call, I would call uh, contradicting fear with self love. A coping mechanism. I guess I didn't think of it in that in that light that that's what I was doing. Oh, and it takes an external voice for you to recognize (laughs) your own validity. (gasps) Wow! I just always thought I was white knuckling it and powering through because it's you know like I have to me it's just I I have two options. I either don't do this and die, or I do this and live. And I would like to like and and don't get me wrong, it took me years. Oh yeah. That like like. Without going too deep, because we've got five minutes, don't don't think for one second that I haven't lied in bed and thought I could just stop taking my medicine and I wouldn't have to deal with this anymore. But you pushed through. But I did. I exactly. I decided that. Yeah. And and I will honestly say, actually, I and I've said this often that my my nephews are the two reasons that I live. Oh. I live for my nephews and my I my sister got pregnant like months before I had my, my my mental breakdown where I was getting to the point where I like where I was I had thoughts of unaliving myself I mm-hmm. checked into a mental health facility and and it was just like months before that that I yeah. found out and so I genuinely live for my nephew so whenever it gets to the point where I think of like I don't have to go to my doctor I don't have to take my meds I think about I don't care like this sounds harsh this sounds intense but this is just reality like i'm not entirely sure that i care about the rest of my life but i do care about seeing the rest of theirs and hey. so that's what i live for and then that taught me how to live for myself now that, i do want to see the rest but that of my is life. an important coping strategy there are some days where it's like it's just it is so hard to do it for you so having an extra an extra reason to do it be a good or bad like i i deal with that there are some days where i'm like you know, I'm just feeling really low. I can't do it for myself. I'm going to do it for Eden, my partner. Yep. Like if I if I can't do it for me, if it's too hard, I'm going to do it for him. Yep. And then there's also if you if you don't have someone in your life that's like that. Um, I, I would actually, you know what? I don't say this often because I don't believe in anger as an answer. Sometimes I do it out of spite. Oh, yeah. Spite is. 100%. Sometimes. Sometimes that's just what does it. Yep. You know what I mean? I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to do it to spite everyone that ever told me to, you know, get my queer ass off the earth. Fuck those people. Fuck those I'm going to stay alive today. Oh, one more like, queer yeah. on the planet, dick. Yeah. 100%, 100%. That's one of the things that I've, like, not going back to church, not giving in, not becoming a Christian again, not becoming quote-unquote straight yeah. again. It was like, oh, well, then that would make my father right? Fuck that. I, I'm not doing know, that. Yeah. I would say that actually wraps us up nicely because I would also recommend that for the people-pleasing. Yep. Spite also works. Spite is a very good coping mechanism, That's a mechanism neat for people-pleasing. Like There we go. There's a neat little bow on top yep. that we can put on this episode. Yep. Uh, 100%. That is that is actually a really, really, really good point because that's what I would say for the people-pleasing is just being like, well, fuck, I'm not interested in pleasing you. I'm interested in pleasing me, baby. I'm interested in pleasing me, and this is how I get there, you know? Yeah. And I, I'm still working on the authoritative thing because I still yeah. do struggle with that, but um, I, as... 
as I get better about loving myself, Mm -hmm. as I start using these coping mechanisms and these coping mechanisms point me back to recognizing my validity, that validity then empowers me to, to, to not have to understand that I'm not, I don't have to please these people. Exactly. As my, my, my neighbor and friend, Holly once taught me, she's like the, the self love villain era is upon us. It starts, it may start with something petty like spite and eventually it will become a healthy, wonderful habit. The self love villain era. Once you start realizing, once you start looking at all these stories and you realizing that Ursula didn't actually do anything wrong and Maleficent is just like, like Oh, Aiden, we haven't the time yeah. for you to advocate for every villain. Oh my God, we'll be here forever. Once you start, once you start realizing that, you're you're good. You're on the right path. Once you start like realizing that these villains are just counteracting some usually some fucking, you know, yeah. cis dude that's being an asshole. Funny how it's all women. Okay, we got it. We, we got to go. <laughs> we don't yeah. have time for this. We're gonna be here. <laughs> oh my God! Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Annalise, for being here. I'm oh, thank you for hoping me. that that um, you will be here much more regularly me too um, and uh this has been just fucking fantastic and uh yeah it's good to be back i'm glad i'm i missed last week and i really missed it i yeah. really missed being here and i'm and yeah thank you for having me i love being here thank you to everybody for listening and remember if you're dealing with trauma and personal health care advocate for yourself yes put yourself first talk to yourself like a friend yeah reach out for help and yeah. most importantly just stay queer just, just stay, stay queer and beautiful. Stay, if you're not queer yet, try it out. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a go. One of the things I like to say on here is that if you're making a decision for your own safety, it's never the wrong one. Oh. So remember that. Reach out. Do it. If, you, if it's helping you be better, uh, like feel better mm-hmm. and, and, and um, enjoy your life more, it's not the wrong decision. Yep. So if you would like to continue to listen to these amazing... <laughs> these if you want to hear us keep talking <laughs> yeah. for some reason listen to our podcast it's available on google apple spotify and podbean um i don't upload consistently but i do upload so that's what matters you know we need to start doing the uh, the carrier pigeon subscription service if you just want a transcript of the show yeah. and you're more of a reader you know let us know we'll try it we'll try we'll, an we'll owl try. <laughs> I'll try now. Subscribe by yeah, Owl. Subscribe by Owl. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram, It's Our Turn Pod, and that's also our email, It's Our Turn Pod at gmail.com. Um, feel free to email us with thoughts, um, opinions. If they're negative, I won't read them. So <laughs> well. I'm an adult and I can do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> um, it's been lovely. Thanks again, Annalise. Thank you, Thank you all for listening. And um, enjoy this 80s music. Oh, the next show that's coming up. Actually, I'm going to.